Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Welcome to this edition of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we have Bryce Gillilad, and uh, he is the CEO of Coincident Capital. Bryce, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, it's really good to have you because we've had nobody in the space of digital investing before on the Brains podcast. So I'm going to find this one quite fascinating and hopefully I'll represent uh, our audience well by asking you some great questions to really draw out the knowledge uh, and the wisdom that you have. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to today's interview. My, my first question for you, Bryce, is you manage over 500 million in capital. I just wonder, do you ever feel the pressure or the weight of the responsibility of, of being responsible for so much money? Yes, definitely. I think the team and I always feel that pressure. It's a, it's a big responsibility to handle other people's money. And money has such an impact on people's livelihood and happiness and feeling of safety and security. And so if you can do a good job of that, you can improve people's life and their feelings of safety and security in life, not just their financial standing. And so that at the end of the day is what we like to impact the most. Yeah, I absolutely believe that money is is definitely one of those private matters that people don't even like to kind of share. How long have you been have you been in the industry for, Bryce? So I've been in the industry about six years and then managing people's money for about four or five of that uh, time. And then before that was in the kind of general finance industry and economics for the past 20 years, which is related, but not exactly. Well, I must Im imagine if you've been in the industry that long, uh, you must know what you're doing, because I think like we've said already, money is one of those things I think people value as highly as anything. And if it goes south, I, I can't imagine you'd be in business uh, long. With that being said, why do you think people are so skeptical of the digital investment side of things? So I'll go with one of my favorite quotes. Um, I heard it in a Batman movie, but I don't think that's where it's from, is uh, people always fear what they don't understand. And digital currencies are an innovative technology. That's something people don't often understand. They have very wild price fluctuations in finance. Finance is another thing that's really difficult for people to get to at a deep level, and they just don't want to spend their time on it. And so between the volatility, the innovativeness, the newness of it, people are just going to where their comfort is. And that might be stocks or equities or not getting involved in the space in general. So I think all of those factors contribute to why people are a little timid to enter this industry. Yeah, I'm glad that you talked about understanding and I'm hoping it's my, it's my duty and my goal, at least within this interview, to have a greater understanding to represent maybe other people's questions and for you to give us that knowledge that I think may well help steer uh, people that may have had a negative experience. I, I know a number of close friends of mine who have got caught up in a scam. How would you spot a scam? Obviously, I know that while we're trying to really shine the light on its credibility, 
I also know that you'll be aware of the fact that one of the reasons people don't invest is because uh, their fear of a scam. Could you kind of, it's probably a bit of a broad question, but how, how would you spot a scam? Yeah, I go with the old adage. Uh, if it sounds good, too good to be true, it probably is. So if someone's guaranteeing any kind of returns for you or guaranteeing that this is going to be successful, there, there are no guarantees in business and there are definitely no guarantees in finance and return. So watch out for that. And then if you're doing some research on it, look at the team, what the team's background is, what the team's history is. That's usually a really good indicator of where it's going. Um, and then if you can look at any of the past track records of that team, whatever they're presenting. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of firms will present data and they'll have actual data. And then a lot of other people will say, oh, we've back tested this and we have you know 10,000% returns over the last three years. Okay, well, how can you verify that? And if you can't verify that, then I wouldn't trust it. Here's one thing from the outside looking in, obviously did a bit of research on yourself as any good podcast host should. Uh, one thing that really shined through, Bryce, is when I, when I looked at your newsletter on LinkedIn, it was very, very simple in its communication and you really kind of dissected some of the jargon and some of the, I guess, yeah, the, the words that people in your industry will use freely, but maybe Joe Public doesn't really understand. And I, I found that really reassuring. And even, even now, just from the first few moments of this interview, you know, you're very, uh, very open. There's not too much emotion and drama there. You're very steady, which I think makes you trustworthy, which I think when it comes to money uh, is so important. So what would be a safe investment and what would be a lucrative one? Because like you said, if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't because obviously there is risk involved. So what would be a safe investment? And then what would be more of a lucrative one, but maybe the risks increase? Yeah, um, thanks for the comments about the newsletter. We do try to find that balance. I think too many financial communications are not written for people and they're written for only people in the financial industry. Um, that said, uh, I think in, in the digital currency space, um, safe is a very difficult word. And for us, we use the volatility and the timing of the volatility. So all markets have cycles. I think some of the most important investors, Howard Marks has a whole book on cycle timing, uh, look at cycles because human emotions will drive the price um, too high. And then suddenly that pendulum will swing back down and become too low. If you can invest at a time that's at what some people refer to as the dip or the base, um, then that is more of a safe investment. It's hard to tell sometimes when that is. And that's why kind of the experts get paid what they do. Uh, but finding a lower cost opportunity is one of the fastest ways to reduce your risk level and make it safer. Um, if you're looking for a very um, opportunistic trade, you want to find one of those kind of newer coins that's by a really good team that is still somewhat early stage. So you're hopefully at that lower cost level. And then it has a whole bunch of uh, opportunity to change some industry. You know, it's replacing credit card payments. It's replacing uh, interoperability of gaming websites, you know. There's so many different channels out there, but finding one that has a lot of that upside potential, but hasn't swung that pendulum pendulum very high to need to swing back down. Yeah, because we, we hear a lot, especially with cryptocurrency. We, we know a lot about Bitcoin. Obviously, it's, it's uh, grown and then it's had a bit of a dive. Obviously, the comments with 
Elon Musk and then China, which is one thing that you captured in in the newsletter. What would be kind of like, I don't know, a coin that you feel kind of mirrors or has the potential to mirror Bitcoin? Would you be able to maybe share one or two that you feel may have? I know that nothing's guaranteed, but but what would would you be able to share anything on that? Yeah, so Bitcoin, we think, is one of the most stable of the coins. It has just the largest market cap, which means it has the most you know, volume of money um, within it. And so for that reason, it's harder to swing the prices on that. The second most stable has been Ethereum for some time. Um, but Ethereum will have just roughly double the volatility of Bitcoin. Um, but it's a base layer of construction. That's kind of the... Um, the the world's computers, what they're trying to establish it as. And so that one has, you know, people say slightly more upside potential, but also more volatility involved. Um, another one that's pretty close to them is Litecoin. Um, it's, it's usually in the top 20. It's, it was referred to as digital silver for some time. It has slightly less volatility than the others. As you go outside of, you know, those three, there's maybe a few others that you can fit in there you get these, what they refer to as altcoins and the altcoins have so much volatility. So you might see 700,000% increase, but then you'll also see a 90 and 95% decrease. And so um, those numbers are pretty insane because if you have a 50% decrease, you need a hundred percent increase to make up your money. And so if you have a 95% decrease, you need, I think a 2000% increase to make up your money. And so that's why this space is so crazy. You hear people getting rich, then you hear people losing all their investment. Um, and so that's why we try to stick to the more stable ones, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, because you don't have that just excessive level of volatility. Okay. And then two kind of separate questions. Why do you feel Elon Musk made uh, his stance with regards to not being able to purchase, you know, Teslas or, or anything to, uh, to do with his business with, with Bitcoin? And, and, and why do you feel China's really wanting to not play ball with it? Yeah, so uh, two rather complicated questions. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll answer Elon's first. Um, so I think Elon is pretty brilliant, obviously, and he's very successful. He sees the opportunity that this has to offer, but I think he also, just my prediction, is has external voices speaking to him. Um, he clearly should have known, based on who he is, that... Uh, Bitcoin uses a lot of energy and it uses some energy that's not green. Um, is it more or less than other industries? I think it's less, I think it's actually greener. Um, but he's also works for a company that builds solar panels. He works for a company that builds battery batteries. So there's some business opportunity behind him trying to push it to be more green. You know, Tesla's the number one battery producer in the world. So there might be some business play there. There also could just be social good. You know, maybe he's a kid who's kind of like a grown up kid, obviously, who knows what strings to pull to get policy movement happening. You know, this whole ESG on Bitcoin um, has been so much promoted in environmental social good ESG. Um, and that's trying to drive cleaner energy production to, to produce the energy for Bitcoin miners, which could be a really positive movement. The unfortunate outcome is these huge positive swings and negative swings. Like he maybe made the market go up 100% and down, down 40 or 50% because of his comments. Um, but it could be business interactions. It could be social good. I'm not fully sure. Um, I think it, it was a little bit of a wild ride for everyone. And so that was unfortunate. Mm. 
any questions on that before I move to China? No, I think that's beautiful. I think, you know, because they're topical, they're another reason why people are skeptical or want to or wanna move away. So I just think, you know, important questions, even if they are, they are difficult for you to answer. I appreciate it. Yeah, we, we have the Elon giveth, Elon taketh, Elon giveth again. That's <laughs> what it looks like right now. Um, as for China, uh, so China has what seems to be more of a command and control style, um, just in general with their uh, their government. Um, you can see like their, their, even COVID was an interesting case where the Chinese citizens complied at an extremely high rate. You know, and you, you try to do that with U.S. citizens and it's the wild, wild, wild west and everyone's independence. And I think one of my favorite quotes was, if America dies from COVID, it's because of their rugged independence. And so you have these two different cultures going on um, with Bitcoin being something that's decentralized and not controlled by, therefore not controlled by a central agency. I think that poses a greater threat to the style and culture of China. Um, also, China is trying to get uh, more green with their energy usage. And if you have, you know, I think it was 60 plus percent of Bitcoin miners were in China um, previously. If you have that much energy demand coming from these miners and you have it in something that may threaten your, you know, um, your currency, then that seems like a dual threat. And so I think for those reasons, China wanted to take some action to exert more control over this. So I think it's, it's reasonable on their part. Um, I generally believe, though, that the more governments can promote integration with digital currencies, which looks like a future path for the world, um, the better off they're going to be. The governments and workers, therefore, below the governments that can integrate the most with those are going to provide the most opportunity for interaction with others. And as we get a more, more global economy, mm-hmm. interaction with other economies is going to be super important. And if you restrict the use of these digital currencies, you restrict that usage. So we it may be a long-term negative play for them, um, but I think it aligns with their kind of government stances. Okay. Thank you for answering those. I've heard you a couple of times say miners and mining. What does that actually look like? When we hear of like like Bitcoin mining and things like that, what does that actually mean? So a miner is just a computer. Um, and just read an article that it may be better said as a minter instead of a miner because what they're actually doing is they're processing um, transactions on the blockchain network. And so they're storing them. So the bigger the network, the more secure the network is. And so Bitcoin has the most quote, miners on its network, which are the people that are uh, the different computers that are holding and processing the equations to, to have the next block locked in. And the blocks say, you know, who has each coin, how much of each coin on the network. And so that's the value of the decentralized network is that no one central agency has control over the ledger. All these computers, which are the miners, have control of the ledger. Okay. So can you be a miner? Can I be a miner? Can anybody be a miner? Or is it not as simple as that? Uh, yes and no. Um, so if you, if you buy the right computer and you set, set up your, your node, you can do that. You can become a miner. Um, the process of buying the computer, setting it up, integrating with the network. It takes a, a lot of technical skills. There's different organizations you can you know, invest in. And if you invest in them, then they will, you'll have a share of like a mining collective. So that's something people are doing. Uh, generally, if you're not technically savvy and you're not already in the space, I'd recommend not trying to go down that route. It's just very complicated. 
mm. uh, to do it. But yes, anyone could do it. And is that something that you've thought of doing at Coincident Capital, or is it is it actually not regulate like legal to do that since you deal with investments? You could do that. Um, we've like, we've contemplated it never um, for more than a couple minutes at a time. <laughs> uh, it's just not in our style. I think it, most investors have you know you want to stay in your lane. With, with what you're good at. And if that's not your key or that's not part of your strategy, then you probably don't want to dive into that. So that's not our area of expertise, if you will. Um, the people who regularly set up these mining rigs have energy contracts, have construction contracts. They're the people who want to do that. Uh, so I, I recommend you know, staying in your lane. I agree. I, I mean, I agree with that entirely. It's definitely one of my mantras as well. Stay in your lane, sharpen, sharpen your sword. Why is it, Bryce, important to diversify your investment portfolio? Why is that so important? So diversifying your portfolio reduces your overall risk. So they, there's a phrase, if you want to get rich, you invest in one thing. If you want to stay rich, you invest in a lot of things. And so diversifying your portfolio allows you to handle different risks. Uh, there's systematic risk, which is the risk that kind of all stocks and bonds or other things will go down together. So when we have a recession, systematic risk kicks in and pretty much everything drops. It's really hard to reduce systematic risk, um, but if you find non-correlated assets, you can do that somewhat. And so investing in digital currencies, they have one of the least low levels of correlation with these other assets. So that's why that's a good diversification play. Um, also though, it's, it is very volatile, so that's why Investing only a small portion of your portfolio in digital currencies is usually a wise thing to do. Um, but again, it's, it's what's, your, what's your risk profile? What are you looking to do? Are you looking to make a lot of money? Are you looking to stay safe and, and grow in a way that keeps you mentally safe? Um, that's what we recommend to most people is see, find out what your balance is that you're looking for and then diversify to achieve that level of risk and return. Do you have like a guide for like people that maybe have this expendable... Uh, income or sitting on a on, on a lump sum of, of how much based on their situation they should consider investing in a in a currency that's a um really good question i want to take the, the really basic answer of you know consult a financial advisor on that one since i'm not for that but on a personal note i would say look at how comfortable you would be if you lost that amount of money um versus look at how much you could gain from that amount of money. Um, and then where are you at in your life? You know, if you have a family that you really need to protect, um, but you'd like to have more future opportunity for them, you know, maybe two to 5% is good, maybe five to 10% if you have more than enough. If you are single and you don't have a whole bunch of responsibilities and you feel like you have a great career ahead of you, you know, I've seen people go up to 20 or 25%. So you can see that there's a big air band there for people. I know people in the space who are, who are 90, 95%. Um, those are very different perspectives on risk. So I don't recommend that to people. Um, but I, I will say that it goes all the way from zero to 100. Mm, okay. And obviously, I'd love to know, like, what are the different and various investments out there? You know, we've talked a little bit about coins, but what, what else could be seen as a digital investment? This is, I think, a very interesting part of the space that you usually have to dig a couple levels to get to. 
And so there's the coin investments, which is what everyone thinks about. It's just, did I buy, should I buy Bitcoin? Should I buy Ethereum? What else should I buy? There's also, you know, volatility plays, which is I'm buying this asset to move up or down and then I'm exiting the asset. So that's a very short-term play. And you can do that with derivatives or you can do that with buying what we call spot. So derivatives is futures, options, um, swaps in this case, but uh, I don't want to dive into each of those definitions. Um, the other sectors are there's VC in the space, which is generally buying a coin that's really early stage. So it's still kind of buying a coin, um, but you can get in pre-sale with some people. It used to be bigger in the past. And then there's very weird opportunities like arbitrage and market making, where you're using the difference between the spot price and the future price, and you're, you're arbitraging that opportunity, or you're looking across exchanges and saying, you know, Bitcoin on this exchange is 10,000, on this exchange it's 11,000. So I'm gonna sell it on the 11,000 and buy it on the 10,000, and I kind of make $1,000 right there. And so arbitrage is a really interesting, highly technical um, method of trading. And then market making is where you're literally the company on the exchange that is providing the buy and sell orders. And because you're providing that liquidity to people, you actually get to make a little bit of money off each of those trades. And so if you're very advanced in the space or you know people who are, you can take advantage of all of these different opportunities. And because the space is new, these opportunities are bigger. Um, I expect in three to five years, the arbitrage and market making opportunities diminish significantly, and then they get more in line with the equity market and the bond market. Um, but right now they're about five times as large as those. And so that's why there are interestingly safe opportunities in the digital currency space if you have highly advanced trading skills. Or yeah, I was going to say, I'd imagine after this podcast, people are going to be Googling arbitrage because uh, it's, not, it's not something that I've heard of per se so i'm fascinated by it uh and got the i think i got the basic understanding of what you meant it almost seems like it's two different platforms that host the same thing but one of you one of them gives you a greater return right yeah exactly arbitrage is a a price differential on the same thing basically yeah well that's that's good to know i've learned something myself which is great now i know technology is massive like in most industries in the world of business and entrepreneurship but how has on how has technology really changed the game when it comes to digital investment so i think digital investments one of the nice things is you can send money anytime anywhere to anyone so there's no cross-border issues there's no monday through friday eight to five issues and then there's lower fees on any of that. So you can send money usually for a couple dollars or a couple cents, as opposed to you know maybe a 20 or $50 wiring fee, you're going to the bank and talking to someone. So there's a lot of positive things there. Um, there's DeFi, which is decentralized finance, which is coming up. And that allows you to make loans to other people too. So in the future, I'd see a lot of people being able to make micro loans to each other and then being able to check or hold assets that can back those loans against it. And so you wouldn't, again, have to go to the bank or go through more rigorous processing. You could see on the blockchain network how quality of a a borrower this person is and whether you want to lend to them. Much of that isn't quite here yet, um, but but that is the way of the future. And then we're seeing in Europe, this has actually happened, large-scale bonds being offered on the blockchain. And so there is a, a litany of people that need to be in the financial market to issue a bond. If you could do that via a smart contract, you can eliminate a lot of back end costs and actually save a lot of money for companies. So as we 
become more confident and assured in that, and the technology increases, we'll be able to expand that and then reduce a lot of costs in the financial system. So there's a really bright future there if all of these things can happen. And I think it's only a matter of time. Sounds sounds encouraging, especially for somebody like yourself in, in, in the business that you have. The more opportunity, I think, to to have and take investments, uh, the better for you and the better for obviously your client. I've got one final question on, I guess, the, the business that you run. And then I've got two personal questions as well. Uh, the first or the, my last question for you is, if you could be responsible for somebody else's capital, who would that be and why? Interesting. Uh, generally, we've been managing friends and family's money. Um, it, it adds an extra level of stress to our life because you have a direct connection with the person that you're managing the money for, not just a, a business handshake, which is also very important. Um, but I think helping friends and family and those, you know, is always a little more satisfying for you. And so that's why we've focused on them a lot more. They also helped us start. Um, but it's people that we can see the direct impact that we're having and we can see their lives positively changing, you know, their, their ability to buy a home, um, their ability to feel more confident in, in, you know, being able to go to dinner. Um, so that's been really rewarding for us. It's been nice to grow in the financial industry and get to be a reasonably large size hedge fund. That's been a very large point of pride for us and achievement. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to spend our time with friends and family and we you know, want to support that as much as we can. Okay. So you're very satisfied with, with the work that you do. And there wouldn't be one person that you'd love to take their money and be like, right, I'm going to, in, we're going to invest this in something. Uh, no, no, I mean, my mom and dad come to mind, um, <laughs> but, but I don't have uh, any important person I'd want to impress uh, so much, I, I suppose. Yeah, I really get that from you, which I think, I honestly think like that's what's going to set you apart. Because I think, you know, you automatically, when you think of investments, you, you, you have some negative connotations with like business sharks and shady deals and, you know, people that care more, more about the money than actually the good. But you, you very much are really demonstrating that you want to see the betterment of people make a person's dollar go, go further. And that really, that really shines through, which I love. So it kind of makes my next two questions, I think, uh, more intriguing for myself, because I, I, I'm always, mo I'm always excited to know the motivations of people. So a couple of questions I've got for you before I, I ask you if there's anything that you want to share that we haven't really captured yet, and you feel is important. But I would love to know, Bryce, what and why made you choose Puerto Rico as your new home? So there's a few different reasons. Uh, one, I really wanted to learn um, Spanish. And it's one of those things I've been telling myself for probably two decades, like, yeah, I'm going to go learn it and never have. So um, since since moving here, you know, I've got a Spanish tutor. I have an app that I've used for over 230 days straight. And I'm getting a little bit better. Uh, sadly, not as much progress as I hope, but still good. Um, the second one is I really love water. I feel... Um, I feel there's kind of mountain people, there's forest people, there's water people. I feel a spiritual connection to water. I love being in it. And Puerto Rico just has amazing, beautiful beaches. It's 
it's really a wonderful space. I'm looking out my window right now and I smile every time I do. Um, and then lastly, uh, I, I was living in California, which is the highest tax state in the US and um, the tax rate can get above 50%. And so um, just looking at future opportunity and impact I'd wanna have, and if I'm able to capture more of my own savings, then I'll be able to make greater impact in the future. And so that was important to me. Beautiful, love, love your reasons. And yeah, there is something healing about being around water. Uh, I actually live uh, the furthest away from the ocean that's possible. So whenever I get to water, it is, it is definitely life-giving. There is something magical about it. So yeah, loved your reasons. I'm always fascinated. Um, my next question is, you love the John Wooden quote, things turn out the best for people who make the best out of the way things turn out. How have you applied that to your life? And what is it about that quote that really, you know, resonates with you? Yeah, I think we can all get so caught up in what's happening in our day to day. And we can get frustrated by every little event. But every event that happens to you, you have the ability to choose your reaction. Um, and so it's in that moment that you're able to choose this reaction that you can make the most of it or you can make the, the least of it. You know, did someone cut you off on the, on the freeway? Okay, are they really trying to get to this appointment they're late at that is a job interview that, you know, they unfortunately didn't leave in time or they ran into traffic? Or are they a terrible person? Um, maybe you want to call them much worse names. You know, you don't know. But if you're curious about the situation, you can think maybe they are just a really nice person. They're having a rough day. Or maybe they're a bad person. But either way, I don't have to be mad. I don't have to be angry at them. I can just go on my day. And if I am angry, I'm going to spend my time and energy wasted on my own anger, as opposed to, you know, listening to the radio or listening to the audiobook or focusing on something that can improve my life. And so I think if you're able to take that reaction in that moment and focus on what could be good, as opposed to focus on how it's frustrating, then I think you're able to achieve much more in life and, and be you know, a much better friend, partner, um, associate. Beautiful. I love that. Bryce, is there anything else that you want to say before you tell us how people find out more about you and connect with you? Um, uh, I would say uh, just take time to think about what you really want and take time to resource and serve yourself in, in doing that. Uh, I think that's the best thing that we can all do for each other is if we take time for ourselves, we're better able to serve others. Beautiful. I love that, Bryson. And where do people find out more about you uh, and about uh, Coincident Capital? Um, so Coincident Capital, our website is www.coincidentcapital.com. Uh, we post newsletters regularly if you want to visit that. Um, I have a Twitter that I don't use too much, um, but I do use occasionally. Uh, it's at Big Haichi, B-I-G-H-A-I-C-H-I, and I'm planning to use that a little bit more in the future so um, can find out more information about me there. Beautiful. Well, Bryce, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and more about digital investing. I've really enjoyed it and feel more, uh, I have more knowledge now as well, so thank you for that. Could, could I add one more? Is that absolutely I think the best way yeah. absolutely. Is, uh, is probably LinkedIn. You can find me. So it's B R Y C E and then G I L L E L A N D is my name. Not many of those out there. So easy to find. I know I found you pretty easy. Uh, there was, I think, I think there was only you and one other. So, and you, you were the only one with a photo. So I, I, I think it won't be a problem. 
nice yesterday. <laughs> Thanks, Bryce. Take care. Thanks so much, Mark. Bye. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Max Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.